And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to uh, Matthew's Gospel. And one more time to chapter 17. We're going to look at the, the last, uh, uh, really, paragraph of chapter 17. It's in, uh, on page 823. 823 if you're in the blue pew Bible. And so again, Matthew 17... And we'll be looking at verses 24 through 27. Now, as we come to this, this passage, uh, beginning Matthew 17, verse 24, I just want to remind us of where we are and kind of locate us uh, in, in what uh, the Lord Jesus has been doing. He and his disciples, he's been traveling around with them a, a fair amount over the past couple of chapters. You may remember back in chapter 16 that they traveled to a place, this is back in verse 13 of chapter 16, a place called Caesarea Philippi. Have you ever been to Israel? You may know that Caesarea Philippi is way up to the north, very northern part, right at the foot of uh, Mount Hermon, a large mountain. And it was there that, uh, that Peter made his great confession uh, of Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, Jesus taught on the heels of that confession about the church uh, for the first time. And, and then you may recall that he took his disciples, three of them, up on the top of a high mountain. It may have been Mount Hermon that they went uh, upon, and he was transfigured before them. Uh, in great glory. And so they got this glimpse of heaven. And then you'll remember, and we went over this last week, that uh, as they came down from the mountain, they descended into what we might call the real world, but a, a, a world full of sin, full of, of misery as we uh, do know it uh, today. And Jesus, when they were there, He healed a boy who was possessed by a demon. The, the disciples couldn't heal him, but Jesus healed this boy. And so, on the heels of that, Jesus taught them about faith. Uh, and then, finally, we've got our passage here. So they've been traveling around, moving about, and finally, they come back to uh, this place uh, on the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, which was really their home base. Uh, that was for, during Jesus' ministry. We see it again and again. The reason is that was home base for them. Uh, now, all of this time, Jesus has been preparing, as we've heard, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for his departure. And just before this passage, uh, we heard him say again, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And the sense is that all the way through, that's what he's doing as he's teaching them. He has his face set on Jerusalem. Uh, that's where he's headed to do this work that today uh, we are able to take uh, great uh, joy in uh, and thankfulness for. Um, and in the account that we're looking at today, it's an account with just Jesus and Peter. And it's very short, just uh, four verses. Uh, and he, he's, he's going to tell Peter, in this case, uh, in very practical terms, about how disciples are different, distinctly different from all others in their approach 
to God. And it's a message that, that we need to hear and we need to apply to our own hearts uh, today as well. Very interesting account. So I'm going to be reading again, beginning in verse 24. This is God's Word. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he, Peter, said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you that we can know that your word is needed by us uh, for our edification, to open our eyes, to be able to see that we might turn to you in a greater way and know you and walk with you, that we might be corrected in our walk uh, at times. And so we pray that you will do that this morning by your Holy Spirit. Uh, help us, Lord, to see to understand, to apply, uh, and to be changed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, we still have another day in the month of April. Uh, and April is a, is a month that uh, has long been held by citizens of this country uh, as a very important month in a, in a certain sense. It's, it is the month during which we have the distinct honor, and I think for many here, the great joy as well, of writing a substantial check uh, that might be greater than any other check that we've written during the entire year. And I know often it's taken out of our, 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 our uh, earnings on a regular basis, uh, but let's consider it in a lump sum with a wonderful privilege of writing that check to the Department of the Treasury of the United States of America. And as we do that, of course, we do that very carefully to make sure that we haven't missed any one of the many opportunities that we have to give. You know, we'd hate to find later that we could have given in certain areas, but we, we erred and we failed to see those and we failed to give uh, to the maximum. Now, I'll ask you, am I right in my assessment about this day that we call tax day and about how we approach that day? You don't have to shout it out. I know what your answer is going to be. No, <laughs> I'm not right at all. In fact, I think rather than calling it a privilege, we would often call it an obligation. We call it what it is. It's an obligation. Uh, and that affects how we approach uh, the pain of taxes. Uh, you know, if, if, this is very hypothetical, but if it were optional next year, in fact, if you were told that, uh, you know what, 
you're exempt from federal and state taxes uh, for 2023, but if you'd like to give, you can. Just go ahead and do your taxes, and you're able to give. I'd ask how many of us would then give, and how much would we in that case give and contribute? Uh, you know, we've got a certain way of approaching obligations, don't we? Uh, if it's a true obligation, then we recognize that, and, and we do it. We want to do it, and so we, we check it off. It's done. Uh, and there's a mindset that kind of goes along with obligations like that, isn't it? Isn't there? We, we kind of compartmentalize them. You know, I pretty much, when it comes to taxes, I don't think about taxes really throughout the entire year until it rolls around, we're, we're, we're call, unless there's a reason to. Sometimes there's a reason to. But until it rolls around to just about time to, uh, to contribute, and often a little bit too close to that uh, date. But then I'll take a couple of nights and I will uh, dutifully uh, do the work that's needed, figure out uh, everything, the taxes, and, and, and I'll get them done and I'll get them submitted. Uh, and then I, I dutifully take all the paperwork that was there, I put it in a folder, and I file that folder away. I write on it 2022 taxes. And there's a certain amount of joy that's there, right? I'm done. Uh, it's finished. I'm complete. Uh, I put in the time. Uh, the financial obligation has been taken care of. Uh, and hopefully I'm good until next year. Obligations. Well, in these four verses that we're looking at uh, this morning which does have to, to do with this mundane topic of paying taxes. Jesus teaches here about obligations. And as he often does, he divides people into two different groups. There's the group of those who have a relationship with God, and then there are all others that he lumps together. And for those in a true relationship with God, he's saying here, that in the manner in which we approach God, now you can think of it in terms of worship and of service to God, it is never, this, this area of our life is never by way of obligation. That it can't be. That it doesn't make sense. Obligation is for everyone else. Now you'll find his, the, the key words here in verse 26, at the end of verse 26, it's in the middle of, he, he's been making a, an analogy, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. Uh, but, but then he says these words, he says, then the sons are free. And he's saying that obligations, duty, can't be that which characterizes the sons of God uh, when it comes to our worship, when it comes to our service to God. Uh, but that for, for them, for this group uh, who have this relationship, that all of Christian worship, all of service is born out of this wonderful freedom. And yet, as I say those words, there will be some here for whom worship and service to God is an obligation. In other words... It's, it's something that you feel inside, no matter what the reason, and there, there are various reasons for this, but you feel inside that you're somehow morally bound 
to worship God and to serve Him. And so you do. And you do that out of obligation. Now, it may not be in the exact same way that I just described, paying taxes. But you know what? The parameters are the same. It's something that needs to be done. You've got to get it done and checked off. And, and then you can get on to other things. Uh, and there's a twinge of satisfaction when that's done. And maybe it's been done well. Now, you may think, well, that's for everyone, right? Everyone feels that way. Well, Jesus says, no. Jesus says the sons are free. Now, true believers, and that's why this is given to Peter, true believers can fall into this mindset, but we need to be able to recognize it. We need to be able to admit it to ourselves. We need to be able to uh, see this is not as God has intended and then strive in the right way for freedom. Jesus is saying the sons are different. The sons and daughters are free. Uh, let's look to understand what Jesus is, is teaching here. There are two questions uh, this passage answers. Number one, and simply, why not? Why must we not treat worship uh, and service to God as an obligation? And then secondly, how now? Now that we've come to a place of relationship with God, how must we now treat worship and service to God? In other words, what is our, our, our new motive if it's not obligation, if it's not a duty that's there before us? Uh, so first, why must we not treat worship and service to God as an obligation? The answer is because we're not outsiders. You know, if you, if you know the Lord, you've trusted in the Lord Jesus uh, as your Lord and Savior, then you're not on the outside anymore when it comes to a relationship with God. You've been brought in. You've been yoked to Christ. And, and, and you have this belonging, and it's completely different than the place in which you found yourself before. That means that you are distinctly different from the rest of the world. That's the others, because you've been made a son or a daughter of God. And Jesus makes it clear that sonship and obligation do not mix. They do not go together. Uh, Jesus shows that to Peter here in an opportunity, it just presented itself. We don't know if it as soon as they, they came back to Capernaum, if the tax collectors were waiting for them. But we do see tax collectors approach Peter. And again, there are other things we don't know. We don't know why they came to Peter instead of to Jesus. It could have been they came out of respect for, for Jesus because he was a rabbi. Uh, it could have been because they were staying in Peter's home, in Peter's house there in Capernaum. Uh, that's what many believe, the same place where uh, Peter's mother-in-law was healed. Uh, we don't know, but we, we, we do see, and we can tell, these were not normal tax collectors. In other words, they were not there collecting a, a, a tax that's given to civil authorities, a tax uh, to the Romans that we so often see in Scripture. No, this tax that they mentioned, the two drachma tax was a temple tax, and that's important. It was given for the upkeep of the temple. 
And it had been there in the law for a long time. In fact, I think it's back in Exodus chapter 30 that that was first given, and it was given for the tabernacle. Every, every uh, male, Jewish male, was required to give. Uh, and so the same is true with the temple, that once a year, every Jewish male was required to pay this tax, although there were some who were exempt from it, such as priests, others who worked at the temple. And this tax was not a whole lot. It was uh, about two days' wages. And so the tax collectors uh, say to Peter, ask Peter, does your teacher not pay the tax? Now, I don't think there, and most commentators don't believe that they were, uh, that they were upset or, or, or trying to, to, as we saw often or see often with the Pharisees, they were uh, trying to do something underhanded there. They were simply asking the question. Uh, probably he wasn't late. They were just doing their job. And, and so Peter says, yes. Peter's been with Jesus for some time, and he, he knew that, yes, they, they pay this tax. Uh, and so Peter goes into the house, probably to inquire of Jesus about this tax. Uh, it was a, a task that was there. But before he could say anything, Jesus says to Peter... Uh, and, and, and we see these words in verse 25. He says, what do you think, Simon? So obviously, when Jesus says this, he, he knew uh, what had taken place. Uh, whether he overheard it, we don't know, or he just knew. But he said, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Here again, Jesus is using this present circumstance to, as an opportunity to teach uh, and to teach Peter and, and us as well. Now, how would you answer this question? He's asking, which of these two groups would be required to pay taxes to the king or, or, or taxes to kings in general? Their own sons or others? Now, think about that for a moment. Uh, now, we might in our day say, well, everyone would be expected to pay the tax no matter what, but certainly in, in their day, kings were the ones who possessed the property. They really owned it. And so you, you think about it, why would their sons be required? They, they, were, they were part of the king's family. And so why would they be required to pay the tax? And so Peter doesn't hesitate, and he says, the others. And Jesus affirms that he's right, and so Jesus says, then the sons are free. They're not under obligation. And notice what follows after this. Uh, Jesus doesn't say it with his words, but he concludes from this, we can see it in verse 27, he concludes from this that he, uh, Jesus, as well as Peter apparently, is exempt from the temple tax. Why? Well, think about who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. And there were a number of occasions when Jesus spoke about the temple, and, and he said, this is my Father's house. Uh, he, Jesus, is one with the Father. And the taxes are collected for this house. And who, therefore, is Peter in all of this? Well, Peter is a son by adoption, a part of that family unit. 
know, this is the point that Jesus is making here. The key difference between Jesus and his followers on the one hand and all the others on the other hand who are subject to this tax is that of family, the family of God. One inside the family. The others are outside the family. Now, just to make it clear, uh, Jesus is not saying here that he and his followers should not be... uh, should not have to obey law. Uh, He's not making them exempt from laws. That's not what this is about. But he's drawing this distinction between himself and his disciples and then all the others who are out there about how they approach their duties before the Lord. And his point is that acting out of a family relationship changes everything. And Jesus himself is a prime example of this. Uh, He did what he did. You think about the important things that Jesus did. He came. He stepped away from his glory. Think of Philippians chapter 2. And he, he lived here upon this earth. And he suffered. Uh, And he died. Think about what Jesus did uh, and about how he did it. We read this out of uh, John chapter 10. This is the chapter when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, In verse 17 we read, For this reason, this is Jesus saying, For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it up from me, But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What he's saying is that he has acted out of this this charge that's given to him from his Father. And therefore, what has he done? He's laid down his life, but not out of some external obligation. He didn't approach it in that way as an obligation that he just has to do and just check the block. No, he says he did it of his own accord because he desired to. And that, that's the family that we're adopted into. When we come to trust in Christ, now when we come to, to trust in Christ, there is a legal transaction that takes place first. It was just like when we as a family adopted uh, Caleb and Maymay into our family. There was a legal transaction that had to take place first in which a judge looked at it, looked at all the paperwork, looked at everything that was there and said, this is right. Uh, this can continue forward. And it was then that we were able to adopt. And so in the same way, there's this legal transaction. We saw it. We read about it earlier. We call it justification. Uh, for you and I in salvation... We are declared to be righteous by faith. The means by which we appropriate it to ourselves is faith. But we're called to be righteous on the, on the basis of the perfect work of Christ so that our sins are pardoned and we're able then to be together with God. And so having been justified, we are adopted into the family so that we are what? We are children of God. We are sons and daughters of of God. That means that, as we read earlier, we have Jesus' name that is put upon us. And we are given His Spirit to dwell within us. Think about all that that means. The Spirit of God dwelling within us, opening our eyes to be able to see, changing our 
hearts so that we desire things differently, so that we see as He sees more and more. And as a child of God, we receive all the liberties and all the privileges again, just like a child coming into a family of the sons of God, and all the promises of God are made ours. And we are made fellow heirs with Christ. I could go on and on. You know, I think if there is an error within the church today, that, and there are many errors, we know, within the wider church today, but right there up, up the top has got to be, and this is, this is all of us to some extent, has got to be that we're, we're unable to see and to recognize what it really means to be brought into the family of God, what it really means to be justified, legally declared righteous, so that when the Father looks upon us, He sees Christ. And then adopted in with all the privileges and knowing that we have the Holy Spirit within us, God's promises are ours. We're able to stand upon that. If we knew that, I would ask you, how could we then approach the Lord and the things of the Lord and worship before the Lord as an obligation? When we're part of that, we're part of the family. And the answer has got to be, we couldn't, because that's what our hearts would desire. Now, it is true that for all of us, we've got sin that stands in the way often. We've got many things that... Uh, keep us from rightly seeing this, rightly understanding it, rightly taking it on board. And yet, that's what he calls us to, again and again and again, to recognize who we are in Christ. You think about what joy should fill our hearts. If we truly knew, if we truly understood these things, we could then join with Paul, as we see in, in a number of places in uh, exalting this. And we'd remind one another of what it really means. This is out of Romans chapter 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You can just see the relationship there and the sense that there's no obligation whatsoever in that. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's assurance. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. In that, all sense of mere obligation has got to fade away so that we become those who more and more bask in the glory of God uh, and of our position in Christ. The truth is, if we have trusted in Christ, if we're part of that family, we've been, we're on the inside. Uh, we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, and therefore we, we see Him and we live for Him differently than someone who's on the outside, completely differently. Um, and so we don't relate through obligation. So if this is true of us, the question is, this is secondly, how then? How now, having been adopted, how now do we worship God? Do we serve the Lord? In other words, what, what is our new motive if it's not obligation? And the answer 
in a word is love. It's love. For those who have come to know the mercies of God, their hearts are driven, and we'd expect this, right? To love in return. Love Him, to love others. Uh, now, this account uh, that we read may seem to become a little bit strange at this point. Jesus has just said to Peter, the sons are free. And therefore, he's concluded out of that that, that he, Jesus, and Peter are, are exempt from uh, the obligation of this temple tax. Uh, but then... He directs Peter to pay the tax, and he, he does this in a very, what we might call unorthodox way, or I should say a, a very different way. Look at verse 27. So he's just said, in a moment, uh, he's just said, then the sons are free. And then he says, however, Peter, not to give offense to them, to the tax collectors, go to the sea... Now notice, he's talking about the tax collectors that had come to Peter now. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. I'll just, uh, just a, a, a statement here that two drachma equaled one half shekel. And so one shekel would be four drachma, which takes care of the tax for both Jesus and uh, for Peter. Now, in this, uh, there are some difficulties, some challenges that we have in interpreting this passage, but I think that the emphasis of this passage is clear enough. Jesus here is emphasizing to Peter that even though this is not something that they must pay as an obligation, they are exempt, uh, as you might pay taxes to a civil authority. We talked about paying uh, to the government before, the obligation that's there. Uh, this is not that kind of obligation. But he says that they're still going to pay out of their own free will. Now the question is the reason behind the reason that Jesus says to go ahead and, and pay it. Now, Jesus could have at this point, and this is what you do with obligations, right? He could have stood upon his rights and claimed exemption for himself and for his followers. We'd do that, wouldn't we? Uh, if we were told we were exempt from paying federal taxes. Yet he realized that in this, in, in this situation uh, with the temple, it was a temple tax, that to do this might cause an offense to those to whom he's paying the tax and to their superiors. And so he demonstrates to Peter the better path. The one that's motivated by love. A love that extends even to enemies. His main concern is not simply for himself, but it's outwardly focused. Now, I, I think it's difficult for us to fully answer why Jesus chose uh, this method to pay their taxes and, and, and why it was, or to pay this tax, and why it was through the use of this, this miracle. I don't know. Uh, and many people think different things about this. Uh, it could be, I think this is a good possibility, that by instructing Peter to go and to obtain the coin that's needed from the mouth of a fish, one thing that's clear is Peter didn't do it. He didn't earn it. And, and therefore, this is given by God. 
And so it could be that Jesus was teaching in this an approach uh, to looking at our finances and our resource, resources, that we look at them as those who are part of the family, that all that we have has been provided by God, that we are stewards of what He has provided, and therefore our concern is to, to do that which He places before us to do and to, to, to bring in, maybe it's sometimes we're given it, other times we, we earn it, but all of that we are stewards of, and therefore we are like managers, uh, and we manage those resources as someone would within the family, uh, making sure it's appropriated, but we're not looking at ourselves and saying, this belongs to me, and holding it back. That could be the mindset that he's teaching here, whether the resources that we have come from the mouth of a fish or they come from our own efforts and occupations. Now, this stewardship would be to be carried out by those uh, who know that they are loved. They're in a family context, and they've had love that has been placed upon them. They know the mercies of God, and so their orientation is to love in return. And I think that's, that's the picture that we're given here of Jesus. Now, one of the best places, I think, to turn to, uh, to see in Scripture this response of love as it's given to us in the form of an instruction is Romans chapter 12. You can turn there with me uh, if you've got your Bibles there. Romans chapter 12, uh, the first few verses. And I'll just remind you, if you know the book of Romans, that this comes at a place, a critical place, uh, after, in a marvelous way, Paul has unfolded uh, the, the, the state of a believer that they, they were without. They were on the outside. They were sinful. Uh, they could not be together with God. No one good, Paul said. And, and then they come to this point. They, there, there's faith there, and by faith, they come to trust in the Lord Jesus and all of a sudden, chapter 3, middle of chapter 3, they are, they are justified, they're, they're brought in, they're declared righteous. And then they are adopted into the family and, and that work of sanctification begins to take place inside of them. Again, a work of God's grace, but with their participation. Uh, and so you got this wonderful picture of the believer and all that's been given to the believer, all the gifts that are theirs in Christ and the ability to grow and to spiritually mature in Christ, and all the gifts that God has given to His church that they might mature in that context. And so that gets us up to chapter 12. And then chapter 12, there's this important word, therefore. Paul says, therefore. Uh, he says, I appeal to you, and in, in the SV, it, it comes a little later, but I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God. You know what that means, mercies. By God's love having been shed upon you so that you have all this only by His love, not by what you've done, by the mercies of God. This is the basis for Paul's appeal to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on to say, 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What a wonderful picture of having received all the mercies of God, having known that you're in the family, to then be told, live in this way. You've been loved. Now live your life as a sacrifice. Live out of that love that you've been shown. Again, there's no hint of obligation here. It is that sense that God has, has, has done this for this purpose. That you might now live as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, your life becomes worship before the Lord. That's the sense that this passage in Matthew 17 is giving us uh, out of Jesus' teaching, out of the, the opportunity that presented itself is this, now you've been loved and now live in this way, love others in this way, sacrifice, and God will provide for that uh, as well. And so we get this sense all the way through the passage that this is what Jesus is saying. Do not live out of obligation, but live out of the love that you've been shown uh, because you are a child of God, a son, a daughter of the living God. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gifts that we are given. And we thank you, Lord, that as we look at those gifts and as we look at the process there, that it's not dependent upon us. Because if we know our own hearts, then we know that we would fall short. And there's no way on the basis of our doing that we could be saved. Yet, by the mercies of God, uh, we are able to receive that which you freely give. Father, help us to be those of faith. Help us to see to a greater and greater degree as we live our lives before you, uh, as we gather into worship, as we serve you in, in the capacities that you place before us. Uh, Father, help us to recognize more and more who we are and whose we are and all that has been done for us. And help us, Lord, to live out of that and to worship with joy in our hearts. And Lord, if we recognize in our own hearts that we, we have a struggle here, that we are living out of obligation, Lord, we pray that you will help us to, to, to see that and to understand it and to understand this is not by your design. And then help us to, to, to come to Christ and to see Christ more and more in the right way and our own selves and our own communion together as the church in the right way. And therefore, help us to truly worship and to have that joy uh, in our hearts that continues on and on that can only come from you. We do pray for your help. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.